providers can't actually tell you what they let or allow you to do because you are the primary decision maker. You have agency, you have autonomy to make your own personal decisions in your care. So they actually can't allow or not allow you to do something. So that's the dictation part of the coercive language. I am excited about this episode of the Birth Experience with Labor Nurse Mama. My guest today is Tracy, and you may know her as Tracy Dula on TikTok, Instagram, and all the other places that you can find her. Tracy is a doula of 23 years. She's a certified doula, childbirth educator, a doula advocate support trainer, evidence-based birth instructor, and a spending babies certified parent educator. Whew, that's a mouthful. The reason I asked Tracy to be on the episode today is because I love her passion that I see on TikTok. And her and I are on the same page when it comes to your birth experience and your right to advocate and be the boss of your birth journey. So listen in as Tracy and I talk about coercive language and what to do about it. Gracie, I am so excited about having you on the podcast today. I have been stalking you on TikTok for quite a while now, and you've been such an inspiration for me for TikTok. I have Instagram all figured out, but TikTok is not my thing. So thank you so much for coming today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited. Actually, the TikTok thing was quite an accident. So thank you for saying that because... I really don't know what I'm doing. That's good. It makes me feel better. And it's funny because I finally took a huge step forward and hired a content manager. And she was like, just post whatever. And she gave me permission to just talk. I didn't have to do a funny little dance or like a cute little rhythm because I'm not. And that was like, that was life changing for me. Yep. Just give yourself permission to bring forth your heart and yes. what you feel like people need to know. Because I have no rhythm and I'm not going to do a cute little dance. My da- I have a 16-year-old daughter and the other day she said, mom, do this dance with me. And I was like, oh no. And I told her, I was like, I'm going to charge you. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole nother story. My first question for you today is to tell us about your birth experience, because obviously this is the birth experience podcast, and how that led to you becoming so passionate about the birth journey and becoming a birth professional. Yeah, absolutely. So I was 18 when I got pregnant with Christopher, and that pregnancy was pretty straightforward. I Back in those days, he was born in 92, not internet at all, just a lot of trying to get information from just the basic childbirth classes from the hospital or, you know, like the library, all those things. His labor was long and drawn out, and knowing what I know now, it just was a lot of prodrama labor, and nobody was telling me anything. Nobody was encouraging me. Nobody was saying, hey, do these things. They just kept sending me home and telling me to come back when things got worse. And I was like, things are going to get worse. This is crazy. 15 months later, I had Emily. So I had them back to back. And when I started educating 
for her. I literally found more information that I really should have had with Christopher. And it really made me angry, honestly. And I was like, man, if if I am getting gaps, I know that other people, like I'm not the special one. I knew that other people were probably having gaps also. And when I got pregnant with my third, there was some time span in there. Let me breathe a little bit. I knew that I wanted to at least educate families. Like I knew that there there was just a gap in education and even support, but definitely the education. So when I had Kate, did things very differently, actually had to deal with her, had to deal with Becca, which was four years after that. And just having the four and educating myself differently or even more with each one, each pregnancy is different. We don't arrive at knowing everything which each, with each one, which is ridiculous to think. Just knowing that there was just a lot of gaps out there, doctors and midwives don't have the time to sit there and say, okay, this is what you're dealing with. This is what you need to know and all the things that, you know, that we try to get across. So that was really my foundation is just having a heart for people like me who didn't know what they didn't know and were not given the information by the people that I thought were supposed to give me the information. So that's what dove me into childbirth education, then postpartum support, and then birth support. And I was a midwife assistant for six years. And so I just went down the rabbit hole of just all things birth. And so <laughs> that's what that's what's brought me to here. I love that because that's one of the things I say all the time to my students and to my followers is you just don't know what you don't know and not knowing can cost you your peace of your birth. And having peace during and after is so important. And I tell them all the time, it's not about it going perfectly. It's about you knowing what the heck is happening so that you feel confident in your decisions. And I love that you mentioned that they don't have time. I think that's one of the things that is so shocking to my students and my patients is they're like, when is my doctor going to talk to me about this or that? Or why haven't they told me? And so that in itself is why I want to talk about coercive language because not only are they not teaching, but there's a lot of other fun things happening in place of teaching. So I want to dive into that topic. And I want you to explain to everyone, because I read your article about coercive language, and I'm going to link to it at the bottom in the show notes. But I am so passionate about this topic. And I try not to scare people. I had someone on Peanut App, because I do a weekly pod, I had someone say, I just feel now like really scared. And like, I'm scared of the medical system and all of that. And I don't want to leave people with that. Because you and I both know there are incredible birth professionals, incredible providers that are striding to make change. And they are making change. But there's still those old school providers and those ones who subscribe to I am the God in this story. Can you explain to everyone what coercive language is? Yeah, I feel like so coercive language is going to 
sway you to a decision that might be a bias or a comfort level or just a traditional practice of a provider. And it look like I'm going to let you or I don't let my patients do this or this is what I'm expecting for you to do or I don't allow my patients to go past 40 weeks or hey, you had an ultrasound that showed us that you were having a big baby and I just don't let my 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 patients or in the induction, a lot of the due date thing coercive language, but then there's soft coercion too. And I call that more of a grooming activity that starts well before the topic should come up 23, 24 weeks, or even around the anatomy scan of induction language, or I don't allow this, or this is what I always get my my patients to do. And what that's doing is it's translating to, to, to birthing people as, well, they're mentioning it. So apparently if they're mentioning it, then I need to have it done. Coercion is this heavy word that people think, oh, my doctor didn't, I didn't have any red flags or it wasn't abusive language. It's that gaslighting effect of I'm going to present this language so that you emotionally think that you have to do something. And that's coercion in a nutshell. And it can be what I call soft coercion. It can be the let and allow which some people think, oh, wow, if they're saying that they're not going to let me do it, then that is solid or that's the truth, which it's not. Providers can't actually tell you what they let or allow you to do because you are the primary decision maker. You have agency, you have autonomy to make your own personal decisions in your care. So they actually can't allow or not allow you to do something. So that's the dictation part of the coercive language too. Boy, this is a lot of levels to this. I am sitting here like jumping in my seat because this fires me up. I'm just going to be real. This fires me up. And I love that we're talking about it now because you and I being two different aspects of birth professionals, me being a labor and delivery nurse and you being a doula, our hands are both tied when it comes to this. And I tell my students all the time, my hands are tied when I'm at your bedside. And this is why I spent 90 hours a week building labor nurse mama and I'm trying not to work as much now, but still it's a lot of work and it's because of this exact thing because once you're in the labor room or once you're in the prenatal clinic or when you're there, you have to already be educated. You can't put it off. And I love that we're talking about this because I teach my students to start having these dialogues early in pregnancy because I firmly believe there are three like really powerful choices that you can make in your birth. One is your provider, two is education, and three is support. And so I have them start having these conversations early, things like, well, I've been educating myself, and when it comes to birth, I do not want to push in lithotomy. And I teach them to listen to the language and watch their body language. And I love what you're saying too, because I think that dismissiveness is also part of this. And I will tell anybody listening right now, if your provider, if you say something early about your birth plans and they say something like, oh, this is too soon, let's talk about it later, 
99%, they're not going to want to do what it is you're talking about. Mom Labor Confident Birth is the birth course you need to feel 100% confident going into labor and delivery. It's full of cutting edge techniques and everything you need to know to have the smoothest delivery possible. It's literally jam-packed full with everything I've learned over 15 plus years in the labor and delivery room and practice myself during the six times I've given birth. By the time you watch the modules in the class and connect with my team, including my team doula and hundreds of other mamas in our private student community, you'll feel ready for anything this delivery throws at you. You'll be prepared to handle every single scenario that comes your way. So you'll have the confidence to make the choices that you want in the delivery room. You'll be prepared in case things don't go as planned. Spoiler alert, they usually don't. And you'll know how to communicate your wishes and stand up for yourself and your baby with the hospital staff. That classic problem, how do you figure out what you don't know? This class is the ultimate solution to that conundrum. Plus, inside, you'll also learn pain management techniques, different ways to push during labor so you can shorten your pushing time, understand what interventions may be offered to you and why you would want to refuse them or embrace them, how to prepare your mind, your body, your home for the arrival of your little bundle of joy and your rights as a patient and how to exercise them. Whether you're looking to have an unmedicated birth or a medicated birth, I'm here to help you create the confidence you need to be the queen of the labor room. When we're talking about prenatal appointments, I would love for you to give solid examples because you said some things that are firing me up. Oh, I don't let my patients go past 39 weeks or I don't let my patients blah, 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 blah. So let's talk about I don't let my patients go past their due date. Let's do that one first. Yeah. And first, so foundationally, we talk about getting a good fit and provider. And some people just can't switch providers. And some people are not going to have that same provider at their birth. I don't care. Start early and have conversations often with every provider that you see, even if you know that person might not be at your birth. That's the practice part of it. So you're just building that confidence in yourself and you're practicing these conversations. So when a provider says, hey, I don't allow my patients to go over 40 weeks, that is a red flag that is telling you that they are dictating your care and that they are cutting off what your mindset is or your belief system is or, you know, what you haven't even made a decision yet, right? Like, Maybe you want to not go past 40 weeks. Maybe you want a cutoff date at 40 weeks. But when they are cutting off the communication of you not being able to provide what you think, 
then that's a red flag. You can stop them and say, tell me why you believe that. Tell me what is in your head to where you believe that everyone should give birth at 40 weeks or 41 weeks so that you can make a decision whether you agree with them or not. And so evidence-based care. So evidence-based care is your provider's knowledge and experience. That's why you're going to them because you don't want to do it at home and you don't want to do it at a birth center. So you're going to an OB, to a hospital. This is the same with midwives too, actually. Same type of stuff. They have standards of care too. Didn't mean to box them out. But so the provider's thought process is what we're looking for but we have to break that down. So let and allow, okay, tell me why you're there. Tell me what is in your heart to where this is your traditional practice because the other two parts of evidence-based care is the actual evidence that the provider has to show you where they got that belief system. So the, the current, either on a piece of paper, on the phone, on the computer, doesn't matter. They can't just spit out things or they can but you should ask for the actual information. Oh, you mean they can't just say, this study says that going past 39 weeks, blah, 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 yes. Ask for the black and white information because they're going to default to traditional practices and bias where we all have, but the majority of, especially in the U.S., perinatal care is based on traditional practices and routine care. That's by evidence, actually. And ACOG's guidelines says these are the parameters that we want you to go by, and this is evidence-based care. So the current evidence, your provider's opinion and their belief system and then or expertise, and then your beliefs, preferences, and what you believe to be true out of that conversation. You are a part of this. We are a part of evidence-based care. We are the patient. We have final say. So your doctor can't say, I don't let my patients do. And so they can, but you need to break down what that means to them as far as like risk assessment and you know, do you want to go past 40 weeks or do you want to go to 39 or do you want to go to 41? It's all completely up to you. It's not the ultimate decision is not made by your doctor. I love that. I teach my students inside of Calm Labor and the VBAC lab when that happens, exactly what you just said. But what I tell them is don't react emotionally. This is, Unless it's a life or death, they're wanting to send you to the labor and delivery department this minute. You don't have to even respond if you're emotionally gagged because <laughs> you know how we do when we get worked up, we sometimes can't explain ourselves well and you don't want to have the conversation when the emotions are intense. So what I tell them is the same thing. Say, can you please? So for instance, they're saying, this is what we do and blah, blah. Okay. Can you please go and print the studies that you're referring to, can you go print the information? I'd like to take it home and go over it with my partner or read it over myself. And then we'll talk about it at my next appointment. That way you're letting them know I'm a part of this. 
And I know it. And in my classes too, I will tell people, and you have to practice this stuff, especially if you're a people pleaser, or you have some trauma going on and you're a freezer. It's, oh no, where do I go from here? Especially it, late in their pregnancies, the last month, that 36, 37, 38 weeks, when some people are being sent for the late term ultrasounds and maybe there's low fluid and they're like, you have to induce right now. And it's an emergency and it's urgent. And then even somebody can say, tell, give me more information and a doctor not like that. And then pull like the, we don't want, we just want a healthy mom, healthy baby. We, we don't want, we don't want anything to happen. Which is the next level of coercion because, and of course, me and you in our world, we call that the dead baby card. And that puts somebody backed into a corner without evidence-based information. That's going to happen. And if you don't choose that, then you are a bad parent. Yeah. And God forbid you choose to wait and something does happen to your baby. It's so difficult. I cannot handle that. I can't because who in the hell can make a good decision when you say, oh, your child might die. Right. Absolutely. Nobody. We, that's, that is the most abusive type of coercion. That is emotional manipulation that I see parents go through all the time. And of course, our audiences and on, on TikTok and all of that, we hear these stories and we see these comments and oh, so if that so it's if it's too good to be true or if it's like a tragic headline you got to dig deeper you've got to dig deeper into if it's emergent like you said take out the emotion but i even go one step further in my classes and say stop the provider and say please stop with what you're saying and can you reframe the information that you're giving me without emotion and without the language that you just used because that's highly inappropriate I wish that everyone could see you right now because I feel like we're twinsies because I teach my students the exact same thing by put your hand up physically with stop because if people see this is the universal language of stop and you're right, stop them. And I tell them to also do that with people who want to share their horror birth story. Same thing. You set up a boundary by putting your hand up and saying stop. And mama, if you're listening right now, I want you to know that you have every right to control this narrative because you hired all of us. You hired me, you hired your provider, you hired your doula, you hired us. And I tell my girls all the time, imagine if you go to a restaurant and you order something and they're like, oh my God, that will kill you. You would be like, hold up. What are you talking about? Like you would want clarification. And I think that I love what Tracy is saying because we have to take part. You can't and this is the other thing I say to my girls. And at being a labor nurse, I can 100% say this because I'm the one who starts the inductions. We can't start it if you're not laying there. <laughs> if you don't show up. So if you get so frozen, like Tracy was saying, if you freeze and you can't, and they're like, we set your induction for July 28th. And you don't have the nerve or whatever. I hope you do. I hope you feel empowered to say no, but you don't have to show up. They're not going to send out the induction police to grab you and bring you in. I promise. 
the nurses will just move on to the next patient and that's that. So this happens with my VBAC students too. They schedule that that wall C-section. Like if we go past here, we're going to go ahead. We want to get you on the schedule because you know the schedule will be full and we want to make sure. I tell them all the time, that's bullshit. It's just soft coercion means that you are being made to make a decision that you probably would not make if if that language was not being used, that's called coercion to direct the conversation into a way. And if you are feeling cloudy headed, if you are feeling like you cannot think, you can ask for time. If you are right in the conversation and if a provider has come in, whether it's a prenatal or in the birthing space, I just need time for a second. Can give me 15 minutes, give me 20, let them do whatever. Now, this is a very privileged thing to say, but that's why doulas are important. And that's that's why advocate doulas are important. And that's why I train doulas to actually facilitate conversations like this, because in the birth space, it is very difficult to have that type of conversation. And you're like, they're not listening. I'm trying to labor people. I'm just trying to labor. And that's why your job is so important. And I'm so super thankful to know you and the labor and delivery nurses that I know that are actually advocates that don't default to, they facilitate conversations and do the same thing, focus on the person giving birth. Because it is in the moment, that's where coercion is going. They're going to slip it in there. This is what we need to do because nobody wants anything to happen to their babies. Nobody does. And so even you got some nurses out there that will pull those lights, little white live strings and and are trained to do that because it's in the training that you are trained to get people to comply, not to make an informed decision. And so there's a lot of levels to this that I think consumers need to know as far as like how the system is structured also, not just coercive language. How do you self-advocate? But how can I know the inside of the system? And I call it in my classes, just like strategy of war. What's coming from the inside so that you automatically have the way that you're going to have the language that you're going to talk about perspective and learning everybody's job is, I think, is key to to knowing how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things I do as well as I teach. We have a whole section on what happens in triage, what happens in admission, what happens in postpartum, and whose role is what exactly. It's very important. And also, one thing I think that's really important, because I've been a labor and delivery nurse for a very long time, there's a lot of things that I did that I didn't even know. I wasn't even aware was wrong until I started on the online space. And I went into teaching because I realized how ineffective it is when she's in labor. (laughs) But I myself have learned so much. And I'll tell you why the VBAC lab was born. And you're going to probably get sick to your stomach. I got a DM. I was getting a lot of DMs. And in school, And in training, we're taught that birth trauma is a completely different thing than what it actually is. And even in the beginning on Instagram, I got called out all the time because I was posting actual birth trauma and people were like, their baby was fine and blah, blah, blah. And I want everyone listening to know that birth trauma does not have to be a catastrophic event. It can be as 
as I don't want to say little, but it can be something like coercion and coercive language. But I had a DM from a girl who ended up in the OR, but during her pushing, but during her pushing experience, they told her she was pushing terribly and told her if she didn't push better, they were going to put a vacuum on and they put the vacuum on the bed by her head while she was pushing. Now, who in the hell is going to be able to push thinking, what is this thing? Why are they using it? And she wasn't educated. So she ended up in the orange. She was seeking out advice about VBACs. And so I really had to stop and examine myself as a labor nurse. And I would say I've always been a labor nurse hippie, doula type labor nurse. But I really had to stop and look at the little things that I do. And I do want to say that not all providers are out to get you. They're not even realizing it. And some of them are, this is their job. They do it every day. They have their own pattern. They have their own way of doing things. I tell my girls all the time, I used to only be able to do a vaginal exam standing in one spot she's in one way, I'm in one way, had to be on the right side of the bed. Now I could do it if they're upside down, but that's just how I did it. So it wasn't that I was doing it to make her, I didn't want to make an unmedicated patient get in bed and lay this way. It's just the way I knew how to do it. So it took women pushing me to do it in different positions for me to learn how to do it in different positions. And so I will say to you guys that a lot of times Now, I'm not talking about coercive language because that's a different thing. But a lot of times when a provider says to you, let's talk about being induced at 39 weeks. And you say, oh, no, I don't want to be induced. I want to wait for labor, even if I go to 42 weeks. A lot of times they're going to say, oh, no problem. That's fine. That is going to happen as well. But you have to speak up. So we're talking about a different breed here. But I have had a lot of patients who start having that dialogue early and they get a great response. So it's not always going to go to worst case scenario. That's what I want to say. Because I know a lot of these moms are like, gosh darn, like I'm going through morning sickness. I'm going through pregnancy pain. I'm tired. I'm emotional. My partner's not supporting me well. And now I have to fight my provider. So you don't always have to fight your provider. And that goes all the way back to the beginning. And this is, I have a lot of students who aren't even pregnant yet. Like I get, I love them because I can help them choose their provider. Cause I think that is the most important decision you make during pregnancy that directly affects your birth. One of the things that I read in your article was talking about checking your body. So I would love for you to explain when you say check your body. I know you said check your body, check your belief. What do you mean by checking your body? Because I think that's really important. I think we have been conditioned as birthing people currently to not to suppress red flags, to not ask questions to be very passive about our care. So we are not good at sitting there and thinking, why is my heart racing? Why am I sweating? Now, some of this just might be because you don't like to go to the doctor. Yeah, pregnancy or you don't like to go to the doctor. 
But I would say we are in a society where a lot of us just don't like confrontation. So we are big people pleasers, whether that's from conditioning from growing up or trauma or whatever it is. But when back in in childbirth history, when the hospitals were created, OB care was created, they had to market it somehow. So watching and reading about history and how care and perinatal care came about for today, I am really seeing, of course, I've been in birth work for 23 years. I have adult children and have been doing this for a long time and just watching personalities and watching people to where even in society, we don't have the thought, pro- we don't have the ability to think through and critically think about choices that we make. We are being told, especially in maternity care, just trust your doctor, just trust everyone that's taking care of you. They just want to take care of you. And really, in a perfect world, I wish that was how it was. But that's not how it is. Now, like you said, Trish, I believe that the majority of care providers do want to take care and the majority of nurses get into it because they want to take care of people. But me and you both see the statistics that tell us that one in three people have said that they were traumatized in the birth space. And that's why we do what we do. Where is this coming from? And I just, I think we've been conditioned not to think or not to ask questions. So when you are in front of whoever you're speaking to, pay attention to what your body is doing. Do And literally, if you're freezing and you cannot speak, count down from five. They're not going to walk out of the room without you saying goodbye. That's going to be rude. They're not going to do that. So take some time, take a big, deep breath and ask your question or say, I would like to talk about this next time because you need to go away and come back. We have to give ourselves space to be able to critically think through information. So do Do not suppress a red flag. Knowledge is not power. We can feel, me and you can have classes all day long with our students, but until they implement what they have learned, it's not going to do them any good. Knowledge is not power. The implementation of knowledge is power. So I swear to God, we're like two of the same people. I tell my girls the same thing. Knowledge is not power unless you apply it. If you can't apply it, it won't do you any good because you're still going to be traumatized. But this time you'll be traumatized by being, damn it, I knew what to say and I yeah. didn't. Have you ever been in a conversation and you've been in an argument with someone and you come and you leave and then a couple hours later you're like, oh, I could have said so and that would have just driven it home. That's why we're saying to do these conversations early and doing them often. Even if you have, remember that these providers probably have maybe 20 to 30 people a day that they're seeing. And in a current project that I'm working on with a hospital out in California, those providers are telling us we only are allowing seven to 10 minutes per appointment. And that's to get all of these people in, but it's also insurance. We're only going to talk about this one thing. If you talk about something else, we got to make another appointment because we got to code it different. So think to yourself, I've only got seven to 10 minutes to talk about whatever is super important to you. And if you need to, and, and that's why I want people to check themselves. Am I feeling good about this information I'm getting today? Now, you don't have to address it today. You can go, you can digest it, but do not 
think that it's a dumb thing to address and definitely address it next time, even if you don't address it with the same person. No, I love that so much. And I was trying to think, I think episode nine, I talked to a guest and we talked exactly about boundaries as women and mothers and that need for us to be a people pleaser. And I think that's so important that you're saying that because that is the thing I hear the most is what if my labor nurse doesn't like me? Then fire her. That's what I say. (laughs) She doesn't have to like you, but they do. They really do worry about that. And so I do teach my girls how to switch providers and how to fire your labor nurse. And I think that's really important. And like you said, not everybody can switch providers. If you're listening and you want to have some tips on that, send a DM on Instagram. We will get back to you. But you can switch providers. And I've even had girls switch at the end of pregnancy. It's hard. And you have to be, you have to have some grit to get that done. But I also think that no matter who your provider is, you still are in charge and they cannot bodily force you to do something. I My girls ask me all the time, I, this rouses me up. He said I have to push in lithotomy and I say, okay, I can tell you as a labor nurse, I would never manhandle you. Even if you ca- if you said no to me, I may say to you, doctor really wants you to get in lithotomy, but I'm not going to grab you and put you in lithotomy. So if you just, so what I tell them, and I had to rephrase this, I used to say, speak up and shut up. But it sounds kind of rude. But what I mean is say what it is you want, and then you don't have to explain yourself at all, at all. And I'm talking more about in the moment, in labor. But I have so enjoyed having this conversation, and I could go on and on forever, but people do not like to listen to two-hour podcasts for the most part. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up. So the one thing that I ask all my guests is, what is your superpower? So I want to hear what your superpower is. What do you feel? Because I feel like as women, we don't say good things enough about ourselves. I feel like in this work, especially the past 10 years, I have just become a really good conversationalist and not just communicating, but having organic conversations with perspective. We have to, when we are having a conversation We have to stop and take in consideration what the other person is saying and are able to use that information, turn it around with really good language. So everyone is in the thought process, but focused on the birthing person and what their needs are. And I can do that with any nurse that likes me or not likes me. I can do that with any provider, an on-call, an all-call provider that has never, ever met me. People are like, oh, but people know you. Not really, because I don't always do births locally too. So I I feel like that has grown and it's grown me and it's helped me overflow that for my classes and other people and empowering just having really good conversations and how to draw out somebody's perspective, whether we believe them or not. But in that, the can't be people pleasers. And I'm not really here to make friends, but I do value you as a human being and really not even in birth work, but I do that pretty much throughout every part of my life and whatever other things that I can do professionally. So I'm pretty, I think that's my superpower. So 
what would your children say is your superpower? And I'm sure that's dependent on which one. So pick one. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think all of my kids would say that I am really good from their perspective. I am good, a good listener. I'm good at doing the same thing, getting them to think about the information. Where are you going to go from here? How are you going to critically think through this? So no, I'm not a fixer. I am trying to get them to see the bigger picture and how to problem solve on their own. So I, I think that they would all say that. I think they all say that. I am absolutely so type A. So that leads me to try to fix everything. Anyway, it was so nice to have you on today. I, I We tried and then I think I got sick, you got sick, a million things happened. So I'm so happy that you were on today. And you guys can find Tracy on TikTok as Tracy Dula, correct? Tracy Dula 4. Oh, I had oops. to add the 4. Yep. Tracy Dula 4. Okay. Tracy yeah. Dula 4 on TikTok. Yeah. And she yeah. is on there answering questions and sharing her knowledge. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for inviting me, Trish. It was fun. I am so happy about this episode of the Birth Experience with Labor Nurse Mama. I hope that you are feeling empowered to own your birth story. Remember, you hire your birth team. You are the boss. Your provider's role, their main role, is to give you support, not to threaten you, not to coerce you. Mama, we love you guys around here. We love empowering you. If you love this episode as much as I did, then hit subscribe and write us a review. We are so appreciative. Thank you so much for supporting us and supporting changing the birth culture all over the world. See you next week.